This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Today, we have an incredible special guest, Reverend Bodie B. I'm going to start by reading his bio. Um, It's quite extensive, and then we're going to get into our conversation. I had the privilege of personally getting to know Bodie recently at a conference in New York City, and you know, all this morning before I was doing the interview, I keep saying to myself, it's better with Bodie because you just feel great around him, which you are going to understand what I'm saying after we talk a little bit. So let me just introduce Bodie. This is Reverend Bodie B. He's an ordained interfaith minister. He's the executive director of Doorway Into Light, which provides conscious and compassionate care for the dying, their families, and the grieving, and offers community presentations and trainings since 2006. It operates in Hawaii. It's the only nonprofit funeral home, as well as the Death Store, an educational resource center and store in Maui. Bodhi is a funeral director, a death doula, end-of-life and bereavement counselor, hospice volunteer and teacher and trainer of death doulas. He's a speaker and workshop leader in the fields of wholehearted and sacred living and dying and a ceremonial guide. Bodhi hosts a weekly radio show called Death Tracks, which streams online. He is a notary public, coffin maker, Reiki practitioner, and together with his wife, children, and grandchildren are off the grid organic homesteaders in Maui. I love that. I want to join that. Welcome, Reverend Bodhi B. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Suzanne. And, I, and then I could go on and tell you what I do after lunch. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Right? No, I know. <laughs> I knew that was just like a little, little portion of it. So by all means, during this wonderful interview, I'll share whatever uh, you feel you want to. The first thing that I o- often want to start with is what led you on the path mm-hmm. to where you are now? Because there's usually, obviously, we don't you start with this in mind that, oh, I'm going to grow up and become you know, a, a coffin maker, funeral director and, and whatnot. So can you share a little bit about the path that brought you to the work that you're presently doing? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sometimes I joke around and say, well, as a kid, uh, when I was playing with my friends, I like to play dead. So oh. I don't, you know, that, that's yeah. one answer. Um, yeah. That's not the answer though. Uh, my father died suddenly when I was 17. Mm. Uh, that was in uh, 1969 when I was just about to enter college and become mm. eligible for the draft. And okay. and people were and and we were all starting to smoke pot and uh, protesting the Vietnam War. So it was a big changing time in my life. So that certainly was a turning point in my life. Um, yeah. But I've been a spiritual uh, counselor. Uh, as a minister in a, in, a, in a Western Sufi tradition for 30 years. And in the late 1990s, people started approaching me about uh, they were dying or they knew someone close who was dying or 
or or they were grieving and i realized i didn't i didn't feel skilled or qualified to be useful in those situations mm. and deci- and decided what i would do would i'd become a hospice volunteer i took the local hospice training here on maui uh, it was a 5 day training that itself was transformative mm-hmm. and then they started calling me up and sending me into homes to sit with dying people and I never sat with dying people before, so that I was in the school of watching how people are dying or were dying, mm-hmm. and that was amazing uh, to see how people how people were dying or, or refusing to die or in denial mm-hmm. that they were di- denying uh, dying or or um, trying to live as normal a life as possible while they were dying, which uh, I think is kind of an oxymoron myself. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, as someone who's had a number of businesses. Um, I, I started looking at the funeral industry, which is a massive industry and, a, and, and often a toxic industry, mm-hmm. uh, the cemetery industry, also massive industry, over a million acres of land uh, in America is, t- is gone from the public commons as cemetery. Um, also toxic, many toxic practices. The casket making industry, a massive, again, massive industry the amount of tropical hardwoods and metal and concrete uh, formaldehyde going into the ground every year yeah. is staggering, staggering. And tropical hardwoods uh, on and on. People are buying, you know, ten and $15,000 uh, caskets. And as a business person, even started looking at the hospice movement, which is a beautiful and, and such a critically important movement but as an institution uh, dependent on government insurance and other insurance, it's, it's, it seemed to me very limited in its scope. Mm-hmm. And I worked very closely with the local Maui hospice, mm-hmm. hospice Maui and great people doing great work. Mm-hmm. And I saw that there was a whole area that wasn't really being addressed, which is the, let's call it the spiritual and spiritual psychological aspects pieces of which which to me maybe are the is the biggest piece mm-hmm. because in in this culture we we pretty much relate to death as a med, either a medical experience or a psychological experience or a combination of those two uh, the medical experience through the materialistic view is the body breaking down mm-hmm. the psychological view uh, is the what's how we are responding our suffering and the existential uh, uh, moments around how we relate to the fact that our bodies are falling apart, mm-hmm. but it doesn't touch. Uh, it doesn't really touch the uh, the larger story of the biggest story we have out here. The thing everybody knows is that we're going to die, and we don't know when. And even even though it's maybe the most known thing, uh, it may be the least known about. Uh, we're in such fear. You know, we, we fear change, we fear the unknown, and certainly death is the biggest thing, the unknown and the biggest change. And so uh, we put it off, and, we, and because we put it off, in my view, we're not actually living fully alive. And um, so those are the kind of some of the tapestry threads uh, that have woven. So then I decided I'd start Doorway into Light. Mm-hmm. To, and uh, first to see how many people in Hawaii were interested in uh, bringing a more, let's say, holistic, uh, regenerative, uh, 
uh, arms container for how people are dying and, and how people are relating to the fact that they're going to die and how we treat the dead, in fact. Mm-hmm. We don't have, we don't have a, as so many cultures have a relationship with the dead, with the ancestors, and we don't really have a, in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there's no, the dead are gone yeah. for the most part, or they went to heaven and they're in the light, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's so much we don't understand and there's so much we avoid. Um, so then I put on an event that a hundred more than a hundred people came to for four days mm. and we started talking about, you know, what was missing and what was happening and where we could bring more awareness and consciousness to this, to the uh, conscious, to, to the culture and yeah. seeing that there is a whole movement happening around bringing it more, I guess, as baby boomers realize they're going to die and their parents are dying, uh, baby boomers have changed everything. And so, uh, we're bringing consciousness to uh, how we die, how we approach dying, how we care for dying people, and mm-hmm. how we care for the dead. So this organization, Doorway into Light, has now, since 2006, put on many presentations and workshops. And in the last three years, have done these uh, doula trainings. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, in 2012, I started uh, opening up an office to do counseling and I started making caskets because I saw that the most inexpensive casket on Maui was $1,500 and it was made out of particle board from China. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a carpenter and a builder and a woodworker. And I, so, I, I, so I started building these beautiful, simple pine box caskets that I could sell for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Then I found out how I could become a funeral director in Hawaii without having to go to mortuary school. I love that. And so then I got mm-hmm. trained to be a funeral director in Hawaii and so then I was a funeral director and making caskets, counseling. I'll open up an office. Then when I went to contract the use of a crematory downtown, I found out that what I actually had was a funeral home. And I went home uh, to my wife, Leila, and I said, guess mm-hmm. what, honey? I have a funeral home. It was just like that. And I thought, well, I wanted to revolutionize and reinvent what a funeral yeah. home is because so, it, it has such a lousy reputation uh, because because it deserves a lousy reputation for um, not not that there aren't so many beautiful family funeral homes run by beautiful families for generations and generations uh, working hard to you know feed their family and be be useful and of value to their communities but um, but people often get taken advantage of in funeral homes if you go into a funeral home and you're grieving and somebody just died and you're you're in shock and it's not a great place to make a business arrangement where many people feel that they um, were you know they spent way more money than they imagined and uh, most people think you know, it costs 10 grand to die these days it doesn't uh, in fact now I say I don't pray upon you I I pray with you and for you mm-hmm. and so uh, it seemed to me we needed to take it out of the realm of money making for-profit business and bring it back to sacred service and start mm-hmm. to empower uh, communities to really take on the work themselves that families and communities mm-hmm. can care for dying people and care for their dead. So in a nutshell, that, that's kind of how I got here. I'm sure I left out a bunch. I do a monthly group for 11 years now, the first Monday of the month that started before there was a death cafe called Being With Dying. In mm-hmm. fact, John Underwood, who started a death cafe, mm-hmm. called me up to see what I was doing years and years ago. Nice. Um, so very cool 
my radio show is really cool too. Yeah. Uh, we'll post all of all of those links for people um, at the end. And we'll also talk a little bit more about your offerings because I'm a big believer in community education, free community education, because, you know, dying is not a medical emergency or experience. It's a natural one, but we've forgotten that. And so what I love about you is that you really are clear with what are the issues that we have out there, but you say it in such a non-judgmental way um, and I know that like there's love and service like all around what you say, but you know, we're really in a place right now in our society regarding our aging and our end of life and death experiences in every avenue that goes into that, we're really have messed it up terribly. Um, you know, from the emotional, from the medical, from, from the financial, from the spiritual, it's heartbreaking. The good news is that we're taking death back. You know, we're taking it back into the hands of the families, into the communities, into our own experience, that it is a sacred experience, but it takes a lot of work. And I think a big part of that is these conversations so that we can share with information with people and where they can go to get resources and also let them know that death is a natural part of life's journey. So when you first were speaking about conscious, we're living unconsciously in all facets of how we live now, for the most part. And when we live with the illusion that death is optional, because that's what we feel right now. You know, people don't even talk about it. In the medical profession, we don't really talk about death. We don't give ourselves an opportunity to get to it, to live fully. Also, we make some really bad choices, meaning that I feel like a big part of what we're seeing in the world today is directly a link to denying that death um, is something that's going to happen. Because if we think, oh, it never happened to me, don't have to worry about it, don't have to think about what that all means, then we, we live in a very unconscious state and make some really bad decisions based on the ego. So I think that on so many different levels, the conscious awareness, now we can talk about environmentally, um, because people aren't fully aware either, and this is where education, of what it means to have a service with an embalmed body, with a casket that is not um, biodegradable. And I'm not telling anyone what they need to choose. I just know from my public that people don't know they have choices. And I also agree with you that so many people have said when they look in hindsight of what they spent on a service, they were completely regretting it because they were just checked out. If we don't talk about death and it happens, how are we supposed to even go the next step in the grieving, in the crisis grieving place of purchasing and doing these things? So, so many things now are earth. The is story, the st I say suffering. the story. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. This, the story we're speaking about is in, inside of a much larger story. You, you know, you talked about uh, unconscious, uh, you know, we're basically a, a, in a hypnotic sleepwalking mm -hmm. state uh, projected onto us and conditioned by, by a culture in denial of death. Mm -hmm. And on a larger scale, many of us recognize that the world is dying. Mm -hmm. And we're in denial of that as well. We want to continue on as everything's going to be okay, business as normal. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really that same death denial. And so yes. when you say uh, dying and death as a sacred passage, well, even though 
many people no, no longer understand what sacred means. The right. word is used, but what is, what is the sacred? Where is it? And how do we contact? How do we connect with it? What does that mean? A sacred, how does that mean to live a sacred life and mm -hmm. to step into the sacredness itself? That's mm -hmm. the bigger story because we don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. And when we don't know who we are, we act out, out of uh, either conditioning mm -hmm. or our limited sense of self. And most of that is fear-based. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, a, right. it's, such a, it's such a big story. And, and again, we, you and I were talking earlier about cities. You know, you know the, there's, we're so disconnected from nature that maybe death mm -hmm. itself is the ultimate insult that we are part of nature, that uh, because, because for the most part, humans have, are acting like we are somehow above and beyond and separate from the laws of nature itself. And nature right. is somewhere out there. It's some environment or it's some park or something. And that's not true. We are nature. And now there are two schools of thought. And clearly we need to choose sides because the one, the one side of thought says, we yeah. are nature, we are nature, and we better come back into harmony with nature quickly and that includes all of the other creatures of mm -hmm. the world who mm -hmm. every every day now science shows that another animal has sentience has consciousness mm -hmm. right and we we have no and plants have consciousness mm -hmm. and sentience mm -hmm. and you know we have to come back and find our place in the circle of life rather than dominating it so that's one school of thought and the other school of thought is hey nature is old news you don't we won't have to die soon science will make it that we don't have to die and uh, even though the earth itself will no longer be livable uh, humans through their amazing brilliance and te and, te and technology <laughs> will continue on um, th and that's really what's happening is those two schools of thought are now what's happening out there in my view and yep. Uh, I think we're doomed if we choose the technology route because every time we come up with a fix it with a new technology, it creates more problems and the world is a mess and on fire in my view. Uh, I agree with you. So let's not lose that prior to getting into that because I feel like death is your best teacher about life and it tends to show up right at the end for most people, obviously. If we can share some of the wisdom and experiences that we have both learned at the sure. bedside, I think we're sure. going to tap into just what you're saying, those two paths, which are really incredible to hear the, the wisdom from people that are, are leaving. But before we do that, I'd like to ask you, what do you think are the contributing factors that got us into this place of living so dysfunctionally? and unconsciously relating to death, but yet that relates to almost everything in our lives, especially if we can- it's the cities. We oh moved no, okay, moved. go ahead, let me hear. I know, you're in New York City. And, I am, uh, but and don't- I grew up, And I grew up okay. in New York City, mm -hmm. but we used to bury our people in, the, in our backyard. We used to care for our dying in the living room. We used to care for our dead in the living room. When we no longer had a backyard, the church had a graveyard. Uh, when when people wanted to do something besides having uh, somebody buried in the church, maybe they weren't churchgoers, then became the cemetery, uh, the, the secular cemetery, which became the cemetery industry. Uh, when, we, we, when we moved in the cities, we, we, we lost touch with where our food comes from, where our water comes from, where our waste goes to. We're disconnected from life. We really are. And mm -hmm. so the bridge here is that death 
is the fastest, like, like we can hear, we're kind of jaded by so much information. We hear about people dying all the time and we're kind of jaded to it. Even we're getting jaded mm -hmm. to school shootings. But uh, when somebody close to me or you dies or you find out they died or you find out that they're dying, something happens to almost every single one of us that shakes us out of this sleepwalking state and jolts us into this place where life is so precious, life is so fragile, and we tune to what really is most important because mostly we're not spending our time with what's most important. So that's actually the bridge right there. And then, and then what happened was the, the Civil War happened and there were so many dead kids that uh, needed to go back to their families mm -hmm. and that's when embalming came to America and yeah. that's when the funeral home and the funeral director uh, started and basically uh, we gave something away to business to take care of our dead and dying for us. And that was a huge break because now the, the common muscle is when somebody dies, we immediately want the body taken away. Yeah. That's been the cultural common habituated muscle. Mm -hmm. And the next time we see that body, it's either embalmed and maybe looks somewhat like your grandma, or it's a box, it's in a temporary, it says temporary container at the, at the funeral home, a cardboard box with a plastic box inside with a plastic bag inside that and you see ashes. And so that break between mm -hmm. grandma leaving your home and the next time you see that body has enormous consequences in our ability mm -hmm. to, be, to grieve, yeah. to be part of the process of caring for grandma even after she died. And yes. so we've done ourselves tremendous disservice. And yes. um, now, now people say it's morbid and it's depressing and um, on and on and on and um, so but we're coming back to it just as we're coming back to uh, we're coming out of grief illiteracy yeah and recognizing that it's not something to get over and what's wrong with you you still you're still grieving that your son died a year ago well there's nothing wrong with you right and so we're coming out of the grief illiteracy mm -hmm. which is incredibly another huge piece yeah yeah. So I had to study this as well because I, I grew up and I was privileged to grow up with a family that was very open about illness and death from a very young age. I, for some, I was around a medical family. I just learned it. And I also, they were extremely compassionate and empathetic to people. And I always picked that up. Um, people that were ill, it was just, it was really wonderful. But then when I got into the section of working in med medicine and would see these elders come in with no one visiting them, dying in hospital rooms by themselves, um, it was really disturbing. And then I went into hospice care and oncology care and still the dysfunction within that section, which is really all we've got in this country is that end of life support with hospice was still, there was huge gaps in care. So I had to go ahead and say, how the heck did we get to a place in, in our society that we won't even talk about end of life being a, a part of our journey. Like I understand we don't want to bring it up. We don't want it to come. We don't want it fast, but how are we denying when someone's in bed? And so what happened for me is studying the last hundred years, our life expectancy grew from 46 to about 79, which is a huge jump. Mm -hmm. We've made all these medical advances, but just like you're saying, we gave our power away as people. We outsourced our elderly and our end of life and gave it to someone else. So we don't see it. We don't even really see our elderly. Elderly live other places. They're in nursing homes. We don't see that aging, 
declining process like we used to. And so it's a disservice to our children. Um, it's all broken. And then of course, if you do have somebody die, it's like instantly, and I've been with families where that person has died in the home. And the, one of the first things they do is pick up the phone to the funeral home and that body's whisked away within 20 minutes. It is not a healthy process at all. Um, but giving your power away to an industry um, and having them make these, again, decisions that are detrimental on so many levels that we need to bring that awareness back, that we can care for our, this is not a medical emergency, there are no rules that you have to embalm, that you have to send your body away within 15 minutes. In fact, there's wonderful ways that are shown when you spend time honoring that person um, after the actual death. It's, it's very important for you and your grieving process. It's also quite not, not, only, not only you and your grieving process, mm -hmm. but it has effects that last for generations. Yeah. You know, when, chi when children get to witness yes. caring for a dying person and caring for, the, yes. and for a dead loved one and having the dead one, you know, at home, mm -hmm. uh, those children carry that into their life and into their children. And yes. that's so... So, you know, that's an example of how you're dying and your death isn't just about you. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, I hope that our platforms are able to... Now, every family, it's interesting that I have worked with when I open this up to the possibility of caring for someone at home after they've died and, and spending time and having the children be part of the process. Every family has opted to go that route. They didn't know because we're not having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of hope for moving forward. The other thing is I have to talk about our doctors for a minute because we know that we- Wait a minute, you're interviewing me. <laughs> I am, but I wanna, I wanna just again highlight, I feel like where we've gotten to this really, really dangerous place in our society is that we've told our doctors, save that life. Keep that life going. We haven't, we haven't taught them how to support people at the end of life, which is probably one of the most important places that they're needed in that support for not only the patient, the family. Um, and so, and I've done this because I've seen doctors that I've worked with in cancer care, when they have somebody who is at the end that has died or, you know, it, their treatment's not working anymore, feel like they've defeated, they've, they've failed them. And these are people that are in their 90s with cancer all over. Now, how does a doctor walk away feeling that they failed this when this is 100% guaranteed that we're going to have an end of life? So I think as, as medical, our medical system, we have to take the, uh, you know, that off of the doctors, it's so not fair to do to them to say, just keep that person breathing when we can keep people alive and breathing. There are ways to do that, but that's not quality of life. And, it, and it's really up to the person to decide what they want for their care, which people are not doing either. Imagine, Suzanne, that if sometime in public school, mm -hmm. there's a class that teaches we're going to die and we don't know when. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you grow up mm -hmm. uh, embracing the fact that death is a beautiful thing. In fact, it's an essential thing. Mm -hmm. If you recognize that we are not separate from nature and you look at nature, you see that death and life are dancing continuously in this beautiful dance. And there is no life without death. Right. Not, not only that, when you come into your awareness, true awareness, because, you know, I, I'll ask 100 people, how many of you know you're going to die and you don't know when? And a hundred people raise their hands and look at me like, what are you, stupid? 
<laughs> and then I and then and then I say, but how many of you live as if that's true? Or is it just another factoid in your head? Because I don't see very many people living as if that's true. Uh, oftentimes, I'm not living as if that's true. The conditioning is so in there, uh, sure. in, a, in avoidance that I'm going to die and I don't know when. But imagine what happens to you if you carry that consciousness into your life. Every relationship that you have, every connection that you have with someone becomes much more deep, much more real. You become much more real and authentic. You don't know when the last time you're going to see somebody is. So mm -hmm. you connect uh, in that moment fully. Uh, you change your life. You, you stop being lazy. You stop procrastinating. You become more fully alive in your life. And you recognize that death isn't just something to accept, but it's something to love. And that it's so essential mm -hmm. that we do die and that we do become old. But in this culture, we have this sense of entitlement that we deserve 80 years of life. And that if we didn't get 80 years of life, we've been ripped off. And that's, and like you said, 100 years ago, the average lifespan was, what, 46. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's pretty, that's unique to us white folk, I think, mm -hmm. to have a sense of entitlement. And yeah. where it shows up is when a child dies. Yeah. And, and, and what we hear so often is, what a shame they didn't get to live a full life, which is, what does that mean? If if you asked a twelve year old today if they were living a full life, they'd think you were just some crazy adult asking a silly question. Yeah. Of course they were living a full life at twelve. Yeah. The question is, am I living a full life now? Are you living a full life now? Are we living a full life? In the, instead of this notion that only eighty years equals a full life. And exactly. so and so too many people are not living their purpose, not mm -hmm. doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, doing some job or whatever, or on survival mode. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how much let's, um, suffering shows up. Wait a minute, I'm dying. I never got to live my life. And right. all, the, all the regrets and all the unfinished business. And um, to show up at the, at, at, uh, at the bedside of a dying person is, is to me huge work. Huge work and because... Uh, because it can't be something that I know in my head, right? I have to know I'm going to die and I don't know when. I have to have a deeper sense of who I am so that, uh, and, and who I am is a soul. Yeah. And I have to be able to see that when I walk into the room and that person wants to be seen as a whole person entirely, deeper than what's happening to their body and deeper than what's happening to their mind and psychology and suffering. They want to be seen right to their heart and right through their eyes to their soul and recognize. They truly are. So that, so that we see story that's playing out, but that yes. like, like they're inside of a house that's burning. Yeah. Because most people just see the body falling apart and the suffering that's accompanying that. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the bedside because I tried to calculate and I've worked with thousands of patients and families at the end of life. And I feel so honored and privileged to have done that. It's taught me so much. Um, so let's talk about the bedside. I have had um, obviously all kinds of experiences at the bedside and people move through what I call the end of life phases because you know first when you get it a lot of the times it's just it's a shock it's a denial it's you know what it is but it's there um, I've also had some absolutely incredible experiences and again what I what I tend to do is 
share the wisdom and perspective of this beautiful person that's about to leave this planet. Um, leave earth because and some of them again aren't necessarily religious or spiritual or whatnot and they have these insights and it's really incredible to watch but for me what sometimes happens as well is that we get really present and i think this is one of the major gifts of end of life and it should be learned from them and implemented obviously now we get present and that's, I feel like what, what you're talking about and what's missing is that we're living unconsciously, we're, we're living on autopilot. When we hear that somebody has an end of life, we stop, hopefully put down the phone, go to see them, really check in, get present. And that connection is the gold of life that being connected to everything and tapped in. And that's, you know, it takes you to get grounded and, and in there. Um, that is life. That is life. That is the whole thing of life. And so when you're saying, if we live with the awareness that one day we will, this journey as we know it will be over, we walk with an awareness every day that gives you the beauty of life like nothing else can. And that's where the sacred lives. And there you that's go. Where you, and that's where you can contact the sacred mm -hmm. and step into it and live from that place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And along with that, I want to share with people that you are connected to nature, animals, other beings. There's a connection on, it's a vibrational level of awareness that is so beautiful that you can tap into. I mean, it's a practice, but it brings you to a higher place and you feel it. You know, there are times it's so interesting. I used to ride my car down when I would come from, from hospice and I would ride my car down this long highway but it was a beautiful it was a country path with these beautiful trees and there were days that i was so much more connected to those trees were just talking to me and embracing me and i was so tapped in if i was really again present and tapped in and other days i'm just more in my mental head it's just a fascinating we're, I would rather, much rather be tapped in all the time, but it's a practice and we have to undo a lot of, unfortunately, um, you know, what we've grown up with. But the bedside of end-of-life patients is one of the greatest privileges and learning experience that we can get about life. And yet we've outsourced it or we're terrified of it and we don't see it. They just call us up and tell us that grandma died. You know, something like, or whisk the body away. And then, like you said, in bombing and maybe she looks like and i always say it's like a bad prom date the makeup and the hair like grandma never looked like that like i don't want it to show up like that so you know not to make light of it but there's so much to be learned by being with people as they age not just end of life i think we need to dial this even back further we've given away our elderly we've decided that they don't have any value and people are living with this, this pain and suffering and need for support for decades because we're living so long. So the good news, bad news. Yeah, a lot of us live really long. Bad news is a lot of it is really challenging with financial, emotional, physical, mental issues. And we're not, we're not really caring, especially in the United States, for our elderly um, in a way that you know we should be. So do you have some bedside sharing that you'd like to do? Anything that you'd want to share um, that somebody well, first has of all, told first you? Of all, mm -hmm. uh, when you're tapped in, yeah. when you're truly present and awake, 
and out of out of let's say your concepts and beliefs and notions when you do feel connected to what i call the sacred mm. that's the most optimum place to be at the bedside of the dying because then you know and i know that love is the only solution and it's the greatest healer it's the biggest medicine there is and most people have never experienced or rarely have experienced that deep unconditional love mm. especially from a stranger right. you know unless you've sat at the feet of a saint yeah. or, or, your, or your partner is a saint uh, the only possibility you have had of being in the presence of unconditional love is if you had a dog yeah, yeah just like true. that really so true. You, if you can so so the so then the question becomes what does love look like at the bedside of the dying in any given moment through all of it through the suffering through the medical breakdown and conditions mm -hmm. what does love show up what does love look like in that moment often it looks like not, uh, doing absolutely nothing saying absolutely nothing mm -hmm. but being fully there mm -hmm. like you said it's a tremendous honor to be invited in especially if you're mm -hmm. a stranger mm -hmm. you know. but Once i also you, think if you yeah. are if you are tapped in, like I like like what one of the things I stress in my teaching is, you've got to. This isn't just for uh, end of life doula. This is for life, mm -hmm. because what, because what I have learned is that showing up at the bedside of the dying requires the same skill and presence as showing up for your own life and showing up for what's happening in the world. And in fact, the, many of us recognize that. We're also end of life doulas for for the world itself for what's happening. And as we see breakdown and crisis, there need to be people who can stand in that presence, grounded, and show up for what what's what's falling apart or what the breakdown is. So what what does the love look like? So I teach you've got to love yourself completely, and I don't mean in a self indulgent way. Right. You've got to believe in yourself completely. You've got to trust yourself completely mm -hmm. and be and, and in trusting that, in fact, the sacred wants to guide you and me mm -hmm. to know what to say or do or not do in that moment. And then, then yeah. that's the that's the practice. That's the greatest work. There isn't a do's and don'ts, which which is why in coming to your event in, uh, in New York about uh, uh, integrating it into the healthcare system and uh, the hospice and hospital settings, which is very important and I wholeheartedly support. And my concern is that then it becomes, this is what it is and this is what it isn't. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I come from the other end of the spectrum where to me it's a ministry and a mm -hmm. ministry because so many people say I'm being called to this work. Mm -hmm. It's a calling. And in mm -hmm. fact, that's how I got here. I'm, I don't know where it's going. And, and uh, even though I told you the story about how I got here, something's been pulling me forward in this work and I had no idea I'd be a funeral director and now I'm looking at a piece of land to develop a conservation burial ground and a dying center and a house mm -hmm. for and, a, and a, a guest house for dying people and a school to train people to care for those dying people mm -hmm. and I don't know where it's all going or how it all got here so but for me it's the ministry and then I don't know when I walk into a home the most work about showing up for a dying person happens before I even get to the front door. You know, who am I in that moment? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm the if I'm the doula or I'm the healer and that's the dying person, 
I've already set up this thing that's separation. You know, I'm the dying person too. And I have to be able to connect with that person because that's what compassion really is. Your pain is my pain. Mm-hmm. It's beyond empathy. It's that there's only one of us here and you're, and you're working out that piece of it and I'm working out this piece of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm here with you and your suffering is my suffering. And meanwhile, I want to just be as empty as possible and not think I know anything because mm-hmm. I don't know. I only know a few things anyway. And how do I really show up and deeply listen? Yeah. Because that's where the answer is to be Absolutely. able to deeply listen, not only to what's being shown to me in the space and with the dying person, but what's being uh, revealed to me inside my heart. Yes. That's the core of what I do. Yeah. and what I teach. I love it. So we are going to talk a little bit about your teaching before we um, get into your event that you're having. But I feel for me and what I am hearing and what I feel is so important is the consciousness awareness of all of it, of all of it. Of, and then I think, I think what's happening is that because we have such a large number of elderly and dying because the baby boomers are there and our healthcare system's breaking apart, it's becoming more apparent that we can put our finger on, well, this isn't working. And that's great. However, that's just one aspect of it, but it's the whole thing. We're just living unconsciously on all different facets and we need to be present in our lives and for one another. And we, and we are all connected to this one beautiful energy. And it's so interesting to me because I sometimes feel, well, if we really understood or if people got to a place where we, we knew we were connected, would we bomb each other or would we point fingers at each other or would we just walk by without even some kind of compassion for somebody who's suffering? No, I don't think so. Now that's getting to the far end of it, but it's super important to, again, live in the conscious place and dying teaches you how to live consciously because it's right in front of you. So if you're, gonna, if you're going to open your door to presence and to getting grounded, that's going to be your teacher. But what we've done is we've taken our end of that option of learning that and we've pushed it away. And so hence, this is what the mess that you see right now in our world. But it's coming, it's coming back, which is beautiful. Have you had personal experiences at the bedside where somebody came onto the program end of life one way and you saw that transformation that they, that they had. It's not our journey. It's their journey. But did they have a transformation, an epiphany, or got to a place where then they got it and they were ready to go with whatever elements happen? And I, I always believe, I always tell people that, you know, the universe is on our side with this. For the most part, the universe has an organic way. And I kind of believe it as an energy system, as the physical body from physics, as the physical body is declining and getting less, your spiritual body is getting more prominent. So there's sometimes this beautiful awareness. Or maybe, uh-huh. or maybe more revealed. More, uh, more revealed, if, yes, if yes. Been, if you've been doing yes. your work uh, yeah. in recognizing that you are a spiritual person yeah. with a, a, who is a soul, who is yeah. connected to spirit yeah. and the sacred, uh, certainly it maybe it maybe you're right maybe it gets more emphasis and, may, and as it gets more revealed and it gets yeah. more attention who am I, I have i have had some really again i think because i've had so many ex, uh, bedside experiences i've had some people who really had a switch over whatever um and i i tend to believe that sometimes people are going back and forth before they actually leave just based on what i've been um privy to hear from them 
in fact, I, you know, I always like to share a story, but I, I'm not going to get into it. But anyway, they go back and forth and they wake up with some great awareness that is, and again, people were telling me the same things from all different backgrounds, religions, cultures, and different places in the world, this common theme about one unconditional loving energy that we're all part of. Beautiful. Also, the phenomenon on being visited by loved ones who have already died before or angelic figures, you know, that was happening so much as well. And I can't even tell you what somebody looks like when they have seen their mother for the first time in 30 years. I have not seen the person in the room, the, the dying, the deceased person, but who's to say that they're not seeing what they're seeing. And for us to discount that and also what it did for them as far as gave them a serenity and a peace um, is just priceless. So again, so, that, so, so yeah. in the way I was going to answer that, I will answer that question is uh, sometimes dying is hard work in terms of mm -hmm. how does somebody complete their life consciously? How does somebody actively engage in uh, dying face forwards and, and doing the work of completing one's life? Mm -hmm. So then the question is, how do I relate to my own suffering because oftentimes I meet suffering at the bedside. Mm -hmm. And how do I support, how can I support someone to work through their suffering and their unfinished business and help them do the work of completing their life? Not guiding them, but supporting them to do right. their work. Yeah. To, because, because we all have a trail and every, our, our whole life is nothing but a trail, be, not nothing but, but a trail behind us. And that trail behind us is either filled with love and joy and friendships and appreciation and respect and honoring, or it has pockmarks of anger and resentment and uh, unloved places. We, uh, we didn't say I love you to somebody uh, and, they're, and they're feeling it 40 years ago still, or we owe somebody a hundred bucks oh, yeah. and they forgot about it, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, on and on and on. And the suffering of uh, how did I contribute to, did I contribute to my community? Did I just take up space? Um, what did I give? Did I give anything? You know, there's so much in terms of how to really consciously engage in the work of completing a life and coming to peace with yeah. One, yeah. one's life. And, and, and seeing that unfold, uh, this is different than seeing grandma in the room or, or, or seeing mm -hmm. the, uh, the golden light. But to, to oh, see yeah. when, when someone uh, starts to shed the layers of, yes. of suffering yes. and uh, regret. And Ego. Of, yeah, so how, can yeah. you share a little bit of how you help to support somebody in that space? I, th I think I already did. I, I, I do my best to uh, stay connected to my heart mm -hmm. uh, and, and, stay, uh, and in my heart uh, not go into any kind of judgment or opinion right uh, and 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 hopefully uh, receive any guidance I need to either add uh, something that can help uh, direct them or look in a certain direction uh, yeah. but basically I want to I want to love them uh, completely and again how does that show up from moment to moment you know yeah. do I need to say something or yeah. not do yeah. I need to go wash the dishes instead or do I need to actually counsel uh, the family around them? Maybe oftentimes the family around the dying person and needs the most support. Right. So, so again, it comes back to how do I respond to uh, what's happening at the bedside is I do my best to listen deeply yes. and, and not get caught in 
thinking I know what's supposed to happen here or, or thinking I know what dying well looks like in this situation, right. et cetera. Um, but to uh, certainly, I want to support a good dying and dying well. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think, again, the biggest medicine is love. Uh, Absolutely. Love and, love and respect and being, and being able to uh, relate to that person as a whole being. Mm -hmm. And being so, then I need to be again need, needing to be able to see that whole being with tremendous respect and love and honoring, mm -hmm. and 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 oftentimes the biggest shift happens because they feel seen. Yeah, and, and maybe nobody else has seen them. Maybe everybody else has seen the yes. dying person yes. suffering, etc. Absolutely, and even for their whole lives, maybe no one has seen them and right. looked at them as their whole. With right. unconditional, non-judgmental love, which right. is the healer and the truth, and so I love that. And I think that it's so. Really then, so then, one more thing, Suzanne. Yeah. So then, uh, we we were part of uh, more than one, but one story where somebody finally got it that they were unconditionally being loved by strangers mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. end of their life, and that itself could have, I don't know how it played out when they died, but they got it. They got it that they were being unconditionally loved, maybe for the first time. And you could see the transformation in their oh, face. It's amazing. And their body language. And I, and I really feel Bodhi is coming in, not even knowing the person from the moment you walk into this end of life as a stranger and being in that unconditionally loving presence that you're offering them is the connection. Like that's part of the whole beauty that you have no obligation to this person other than that you are a compassionate human being here to be of service. It's I, very I, powerful. I don't, I, don't, I don't live in the world where there are any strangers. Mm -hmm. uh, Correct. And you know, I yeah. took, it took my whole life for me to get to sitting here in front of this screen with you. Mm -hmm. So if I, if, I, if I walk into a home, um, it took my whole, it took me my whole life to get there. And it took that dying person their whole life to get to that spot. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that their entire life and maybe their lifetimes brought them to that moment mm -hmm. and my life and maybe my entire lifetimes brought me to that moment so it's no coincidence that we're there so yeah. that's that's just somebody i haven't seen in a while is the way i look at it yeah and, uh, and in fact it's me it's me yeah 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 absolutely and the power behind that is that connection i think that uh is incredibly beautiful what do we what? seek what what are we seeking what are we seeking more and more and more and more what do we want more and more connection Right? right, that's that's what we're all deeply after because we're not getting it. Just like you said, we're not being seen. Mm -hmm. Of course, we need to see ourselves. It's not going to come from out there, but we want to be around people that see us and get us, mm -hmm. and we want to be the same way with our friends. And so we think Facebook or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is, is our way to connect. But it but it leaves us empty. It doesn't work. It's not real connection. We are hungry. We are starving from uh, wanting to be connected. Connection is what it's about, and that connection, the ultimate connection, as we're talking about, is is love. Is not is non judgmental. That's it. That's yeah, and what a good place to be in. And I feel again for when I stepped away from my full-time hospice RN job was when I was told that I needed to document on my computer for my hour visit in the home with that patient. And I said, I won't do it. I won't put up a computer screen and ask a dying patient 
what their pain level is and be documenting that on that one little visit that I have with them. Um, and they said, okay, you have 24 hours to get it in, but that's just showing you where the system's at. So um, what do you feel needs to happen on the big picture right now, Bodhi? What do you think needs to happen for us to make this change forward? I mean, just recap. We've kind of talked about it, but just... We've got to wake up. We've yeah. got to come out of this sleepwalking uh, cultural hypnosis. And we've got to help everybody else wake up the same uh, quickly. Uh, we've, got to come, we've got to come away from all the things we're doing that are killing the world because maybe that's the, it doesn't really matter uh, about anything else if in 50 years the planet's going to be unlivable. Uh, so we've got to come out of uh, everything we're all doing. Every dollar we spend empowers a company that's either uh, on, on the side of cleaning up the world or is continuing to you know, poison the world. That's the most important thing we can do. We have to, and we have to become conscious and awake, mm -hmm. and we have to recognize who we are and function from that place. You know, we we are uh, God. God lives inside of us and mm -hmm. everywhere else, and in everyone else. We've got to know that. We've got to live that, and that changes everything, Suzanne. That changes mm -hmm. how we take care of ourselves, mm -hmm. how we take care of the earth, how we take care of dying people how we care, take care of the dead. You know, uh, many cultures still have direct connection with the ancestors. That's mm -hmm. not a superstitious thing. That's real. The mm -hmm. past is not gone. The future right. is, not, is here. The past and the future are both very present here, but we act like the past is gone. Old people are worthless. Young people mm -hmm. are where it's at. Mm -hmm. And the elderly, you know, we are, we are uh, short of elders. And that's part of it too. Um, but and 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 many old people ha are very wounded for not being valued and not even in fact women over 50 many of them are wounded from not being seen and recognized at all in this culture yeah uh, it's, you know it's it's horrific uh, what's happened it's so sad it is so sad and how do we change all that like I said we have to wake up and help everybody else wake up quickly and do what we can in whatever mode wherever we work it doesn't matter what we do. When we bring more consciousness to who we are, we bring more consciousness to what we do, mm -hmm. whether it's plumbing or whether it's anything. People, mm -hmm. um, and and it and it um, and it's all about changing your life. Because if you're just somebody who's got another job and another uh, skill set, um, then you know that's that's not the whole healing of what we're after right here. Yeah. So I love that. So let's just say that once again, that we got to wake up, we got to live consciously and we got to do it quickly in all facets with, with everything we do with no judgment, loving, connected to one energy. We will, it will change everything. And you know what? It has to happen now because there's, there's two different directions that are happening. And let me just say that when you get in that space presently, you will feel so overjoyed and blissful because it's just the best energy you can be in. So it's just a wonderful thing to do on so many levels. Everybody needs to look out their window in the morning and at least see a tree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I do have a tree. Okay, good. Because okay. we're so disconnected from nature. Yeah. And nature, again, is one of the greatest teachers uh, about what's real and who we are and what life and death is and looks like. Absolutely. Beautifully said. All right, Bodhi, I want to talk about your event that you have coming up in April. Can you share great. with us your doula oh, training? Great. Yeah, we're coming up in the third international death doula training 
on Maui. And uh, the, the, every, in the last two years, uh, and the third one again, April 25th to the 29th, um, I bring in all these uh, amazing um, beings. Um, Jerry Grace Lyons, who's been at the forefront of the home funeral movement in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deanna Cochran, who's done so much in the hospice mm -hmm. uh, and you know end of life care movement. Uh, who else? Oh, Anne uh, Anne uh, Cunningham. No, no. Amy, Amy, yeah. Amy, no, yeah. not Amy Cunningham. Yeah, not it's somebody Amy. else. It's somebody else. Amy, it's, I'm, I've lost her last name in the moment. Okay. But she, she's a, a midwife in Florida who who now has moved into the field of. A caring for women who've had uh, stillbirths or mm. abortion, you know, people who are grieving the loss of a you know dead baby, unborn yeah. baby. Yeah. Uh, she's going to come. That's such an important piece. Uh, Brooke Brown, who's uh, has an organization here that works with uh, children who are grieving the death mm -hmm. of a loved one. Mm -hmm. And again, we're pretty illiterate about um, children and their grief process. And I go into the high school now and and work with a high school group uh, a couple of times a month. And I wish there was one when I was in high school because I meet so many people my age that say, oh, my parents didn't even tell me grandma died or, or they didn't even care about what I was going through and talk to me about it. And we are so grief illiterate about what our children are going through. So that's peace. Ramdas, of course, who's been working in, in the field of conscious uh, aging, dying and death for 50 years now, he'll be there. Uh, Leohu Ryder and Maydeen, who are Hawaiian teachers here, will come and bring their perspective to it. Um, I'm sure I left somebody out. Um, it's not right in front of me. And I'm, It sounds I'm, incredible. Well, why don't you tell us where we can go to look it up for our viewers? So it's five days. Uh, it's five days uh, full on. Uh, we work you and uh, it's everything from how to, how to take care of a dead body uh, to, how to, ch how to how to become more awake and how to become more into your heart, how to, how to learn how to be a deep listener, um, how to be still, how to stop, um, yeah. on and on and on. I'm not even touching, uh, you know, how, how to, how to you know, because for me, death doula starts with educating healthy people mm -hmm. all the way through to uh, edu educating and counseling dying people and their families, to caring for dying people and their families, to caring for the dead, to caring for the grieving, it yes. does, you know, it's a full spectrum. You don't have to do all of those things. But to me, it encompasses every piece of advocacy, support, counsel, and hands-on uh, healing. Even, you know, Reiki is a beautiful piece. So yeah. you can find out more about this training at our website, doorwayintolight.org. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, video that I did introducing this training and what it's about, uh, doorwayintolight.org. Great. Yeah. And Thank we'll list all that. Directing. Yeah. And we'll put those links. Um, uh, we'll attach them here. And also your, your Death Tracks radio show. When is that? Death Tracks every Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m. Hawaii time. Okay. Uh, you can stream it live on kakufm.org. I haven't turned it into a podcast yet because uh, I haven't found anyone that'll host my podcast because I play commercial music. And I don't have a license to play that music, even though my I can play it on my radio show because my radio station has that license, but it won't be hosted. But now I'm thinking I do an interview the second half of my radio show and I don't play music and I might yeah. podcast just the interviews. 
Yeah. In fact, in fact, right now I have I've been interviewing a man who's who want, who's dying out loud and wants to chronicle his dying, and he's dying. He says of a broken heart. Oh. So he's been coming on the radio to uh, bring us up to date with his process of dying of a broken heart and and dying out loud, which has been absolutely beautiful. How uh, generous and beautiful! Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Reverend Bodie B, thank you so much for all the work you've done for being you and also for sharing with us on this interview. So I look forward to Maui so much and to your shows and getting to know you better. Um, I hope you're coming. I hope you're coming to the training, Suzanne. I am going to try. I'm coming back from Thailand at the beginning of April after doing a month of work in March there all over the country. So I'm trying to see how I can swing that. But that's yes, a good time to come to Maui, Suzanne. I know it, that's is, the, it is. That's the other part of the training is it's on Maui and we're right close to the beaches and the jungles and the waterfalls. Yes, I think, I think it's going to happen. So absolutely. But um, our final ceremony, our closing ceremony is at the beach in the ocean. Uh, okay. I think it's a done deal. Um, I, I look forward to it. So Bodhi, thank you very much again for all you do. And uh, it's going to be a great training in April. So I hope everyone gets to check that out and it's, we'll post all the links here below. Thank you very much, Reverend Bodie V, and we'll see you next time on Ask a Death Doula. Bye, everybody. Thank you much, Suzanne. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review. Subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.